Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. We're going to be in 1 Timothy 3, if you want to find that in your copy of Scripture. I I just want to tell you, we need each other. Uh, We need each other for a lot of reasons. We need each other when we gather to worship and to sing and to praise. I wish I could tell you how much enjoyment I get when I sit down and talk with Dr. Mike and Dustin and we're working through worship planning and preparation for not only the next service or services, but visioning for the future and what that means. And I love how Dr. Mike and Dustin and Eddie and Mike Norman in the past, they've worshipped before they've worshipped and led us in worship. You'll never know how often it is that in their preparation for leading us, a song choice is not dictated by what instrumentation we're going to use or dictated by, you know, how we're going to sing it or not sing it, but it's dictated by the text of Scripture and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And you'll never know, folks, how often those choices are perfect for what we need to hear and sing from one another. I want to tell you something. I know I get an opportunity to preach to you, from God's Word, but we get an opportunity to proclaim to one another when we sing together. That prayer, take my life and let it be. Folks, if every one of us as a follower of Jesus at Wilkesboro Baptist Church would let that be not only the prayer we pray in a song this morning, but the way we live each and every day of the week, what kind of change would that be in our own lives and in those around us? Folks, we need that. And we've worshipped this morning, and I appreciate you singing. I needed to hear you sing, and so we're going to open up the text and now look at what God says about the character of a deacon from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. You know, over the course of the last uh, several years that I've been here that I'm a North Carolina basketball Tar Heel fan, football fan as well, just usually have a little more pull for in basketball than in football. And, uh, you know, North Carolina plays in the Atlantic Coast Conference with other schools like uh, Duke University, who I think won a basketball game last night, and then, you know, NC State and Wake Forest, Wake Forest University. Wake Forest, did you know, began as a Baptist school? And uh, do you know what their mascot is? I'm sure most of you do. They're called the Demon Deacons. Unfortunately, that moniker and illustration is all too true in some Baptist churches. I grew up in some Baptist churches that had some deacons. I don't know that they were demonic so much, but they weren't necessarily the godly character that's described here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Just so you're aware, I grew up in a church where during Pastor Appreciation Month in the month of October, the deacons asked my dad to resign the church. Because he preached a little too long. Lord bless us all, because I know I do. So, you know, <laughs> there you go. But, but seriously, it asked him to resign. Deacons that wanted to control. And, and you've probably experienced and been around churches, heard of churches where the picture of a deacon is a governing board that dictates to the pastor and everybody else, here's what we're going to do and here's who we're going to be. I just want to tell you something. That's not true at Wilkesboro Baptist Church. 
That's not the kind of deacons that we have serving in the ministries of our church. That's not the way the deacons function at Wilkesboro Baptist Church. And we ought to be grateful for that. We ought to be thankful that the men that God has raised up to serve in those capacities here love the Lord and love others and love the church. In fact, it's interesting that when we look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to look at a word, diakonos, which means servant. It's in the very same text I read to begin our worship service. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus came to serve, literally to deacon, to, to minister to one another. In fact, what's fascinating in that same text in Mark chapter 10, there was an argument going on. James and John wanted authority and wanted to sit at the right hand of Jesus in glory. And Jesus looked at them and said, Listen, the way we serve in the family of God and greatness in the family of God looks different. Kings and rulers try to be in charge and dictate to everybody else. Not so in the kingdom of God. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you'll do what? You'll serve one another. You'll put someone else first. And here's what's fascinating about that. In the life of the church, the church of God, the family of faith, the structure, and I preached on biblical structure last week, and you're going to be hearing more about that in the weeks and months to come. But in the biblical structure of the church, God ordained two offices the office of pastor and the office of deacon. And both offices emphasize not primarily authority, not primarily telling others what to do. They indicate service. Pastors are to serve the church through the ministry of the word and prayer. And deacons are to serve the church through ministry, practical ministries that, that un- undertake a whole lot of other things. It's fascinating to me that Jesus would set up a structure, the church, set up a church, call out his family. We're the church, the body of believers that have put our faith and trust in Jesus. We're the local church that have come together and agreed that we're going to serve one another and serve the Lord together at this church. And Jesus set up two offices in our church, and they both highlight service. That is fascinating. That should strike us because that is unlike every other structure outside of the body of Christ. Structures outside of the body of Christ are about top-down. They're about who the CEO is or who the CFO is. They're about who the governing board is. They're about who is in charge, who gets to make the most decisions, who has the most influence, who has the most power, who has the most money. Not so in the church. The church not operate like that because we only have one head and his name is Jesus. We only have one Lord and authority and his name is Jesus. We only have one true leader and his name is Jesus. And we're to come underneath our Lord and Savior and do what? Not angle for power, but seek to serve. And what's beautiful is that the implication of Mark 10, 45 and also 1 Timothy 3 in these characteristics, folks, Some of you are going to hear this sermon and say, oh, that's for the office of deacon. Well, it is, but it's for all of us. See, you and I are supposed to be servants. Whether or not we have an office that says our title is servant, which is, that's what it means. Or whether or not we don't, we're to serve one another. And the characteristics that are displayed here in this text are tremendously important if we're going to put someone in that office, but... They're important for all of us as followers of Jesus. So let's read what the text says. 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Deacons likewise, and servants likewise, 
must be dignified. And by the way, that likewise is a it's a transition word. It means also and also. It carries with it the idea that some of those qualifications for elders, there's a transition, but there's an overlap. It means that it's not like this group has these qualities and these qualities only, and this group has these qualities and these qualities only. It's an indication that as Christians truly were to aspire to all of these qualities, but this is the specific set of instructions if we're going to put someone in the office of deacon. Deacons likewise must be what? Dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to too much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So what are we to look for? in looking for someone who might fill the office of deacon, but primarily what are we looking for in someone who might serve in the life of the church? We're to look for those who carry themselves with dignity. Like the section before with elders and pastors, overseers, that section begins with, let the pastor or overseer be above reproach. That's a catch-all phrase that, that kind of undergirds or overlaps, umbrellas, all the other characteristics that follow it. The same thing's true here in this text with the subject of dignity. Uh, deacons are to be those who carry themselves with dignity. It's an umbrella term and all the other characteristics that follow flow out of that picture of dignity. What is dignity? It's someone who's worthy of respect. So the way that a servant of the church, a deacon in the church is to carry himself is to be someone who is worthy of respect. Worthy of respect how? We're to look for those who walk with integrity. And I'm going to give you some various characteristics. Some of them include multiple of these. Some of them don't. But we're to look for those who walk with integrity. Integrity, not double-tongued. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one else is watching. Christian uh, encourager, I think is the best description for him. Zig Ziglar put it this way. Integrity gives you real freedom Because you have nothing to fear since you have nothing to hide. So in in the specific of deacon characteristics, it begins with, in terms of integrity, it begins with not being double-tongued. Not saying one thing to another and then saying something else to someone else. Not talking one way behind someone else's back and another way to their face. In other words, being full of integrity with one's lips. In these next three categories, essentially the picture is having integrity with related to words, wine, and wallets. Words, what do we say? Well, what we say is what we should mean, and what we mean is what we should say, and we shouldn't speak out of turn. That can mean in terms of creating division, in terms of conversation. The person who's to be a deacon is not to be a division maker. That's one way to look at that. The person who is a deacon is to solve problems with a careful tongue, with a tongue that is slow to anger, not creating and spurring on division. 
I can't tell you the number of Baptist churches that I've heard about over the years, not just Baptists, other denominations as well. I'm just a Baptist, so I'm just telling you what, what I've watched and experienced. How much division can be stirred up if one group starts talking about another group or one pastor starts talking about a deacon or one deacon starts talking about a pastor and they get their little circle of gossip and influence and, and they stir this up and they stir this up and then it blows up into this huge division, creates a split in the life of the church. Folks, deacons aren't to be that. They're not to be double-tongued. They're not to be gossip-mongers. Their words are to solve problems rather than stir up problems. Not to be double-tongued. They're also not to uh, be addicted to much wine. Again, like I mentioned with the indication or that, that characteristic for pastoring, I'm a teetotaler. I, I don't think that drinking is something we need to do. We live in a far different age than they did 2,000 years ago. We have plenty of other options for our beverage choices besides things that contain alcohol and can create inhibitions and cause problems. But and nevertheless, this category for deacons is that they're not to be addicted to wine. They're not to be drunkards. You can't have someone serving the church and caring for the people of the church inebriated. It's just not, they don't go together. And so they ought to have, in terms of the way they carry themselves, they ought to have that area of their lives under control. It's important. Folks, alcohol is not really a good thing. And the culture in which we live elevates it to something that, that it shouldn't be. And it's destructive. It's very destructive. I read a recent article that suggested that in 2020... More people died of alcohol-related causes under the age of 65. More people died from alcohol-related causes under 65 than they did from COVID. Now, granted, looking at 65 and under, but that's a 25% increase. And there could be a whole lot of cultural reasons for that. I mean, the world shut down in 2020, couldn't go to AA meetings, couldn't get the help that you needed. Depression, stress, and anxiety ramped up, and so people turned to something that would that would would maybe, in their own mind, solve that tension or that problem. Uh, bottom line is this, folks: as followers of Jesus, our hope does not rest in a substance. Our help does not rest in a substance. We're not going to find help in a substance, alcohol or other. We need Jesus, and the person who leads as a deacon serves as a deacon should not be controlled by something else. Uh, also, with regard to integrity, they should not be greedy for unjust gain or dishonest gain. In other words, they, it, it's not wrong for a deacon to be a solid business person. It's not wrong. In fact, with the practicality of what deacon ministry looks like in most churches, someone who's able to deal with money well, that's a good fit for their ministry involvement in the life of the church. But a deacon shouldn't be someone who's greedy. They should be someone who's giving. And not just with the church finances, but with their own personal finances. Why? Because deaconing or serving is not about themselves. It is contrary to a biblical picture of serving to be thinking about what can I get? How can I be a miser? How can I keep more? How can I hold on to more? How can I protect what I have? How can I gain more? You can't be that way with money and then put others first in every other category of life. Serving carries with it the idea that others come first. The church comes first. Other people comes first. 
Our family comes first rather than self-oriented. And so they just don't work together. So greedy for dishonest gain is a characteristic of, or a characteristic that is inconsistent with the type of integrity that God would expect of those that serve in the office of deacon. So we're to look for those who, are di- who have dignity. We're to look for those who have integrity. We're also to look for those in terms of those who would serve as deacons. We're to look for those who hold a faithful theology. Listen, teaching might be the primary uh, responsibility of the office of pastor or elder, but that doesn't mean that the rest of the church or the other office in the church, the office of deacon, can avoid understanding what the text says and under holding a faithful theology. Notice exactly what Paul says here. He says, verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, now that's a weird phrase because we think of mystery in terms of a mystery novel. Uh, you know, okay, what, what is this mystery we're to uncover? How are we to figure that out? When mystery is used in the New Testament, don't think of it in terms of a mystery novel. Think of it in terms of something that was not clear that has been made clear. In other words, it's not any longer to be mysterious to us. Simply what he's talking about is the hope of the Old Testament was the Messiah of the New Testament. The the, uh, the law system and the sacrificial system has all been fulfilled now in Jesus. And so the mystery has been revealed. What is that? It's the Christian faith. It's that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And what the text says here is that those who would serve as deacons are to hold that. What are they holding? They're holding the gospel. They're holding faithful theology. They're holding a true understanding of Scripture. I didn't say a perfect understanding of Scripture. We're all struggling at places with texts that may be hard to understand and wrestling with what does this mean. That's okay. That's okay for pastors to wrestle with. It's okay for church members and deacons to wrestle with. But there are some things that we're no longer to wrestle against or no longer really to wrestle with. And those are the things that are the clearest teachings of Scripture that relate to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to hold that and not let go of it. It means that a deacon who is serving in the life of the church in this office or a Christian in general, it means what? We're to hold the faith, know the faith, and live the faith. It carries with it the idea that We need to know what it was that brought us into a faith relationship with Jesus, which is Jesus himself. We're to hold on to that, not let go of it, not ignore it, not not move away from it, not try to gain some kind of spiritual experience beyond it. That's, That's not within the realm of what Scripture teaches. We're to know it, hold on to it, and then live by it with what? A clear conscience. Not a perfect conscience, a clear conscience, meaning that there's not a consistent pattern in our lives that, that's inconsistent with what Scripture teaches. Some of you know about a conscience from the uh, ancient, by now, Disney movie Pinocchio. For those of you that remember that, you remember Jiminy Cricket, the little cricket, telling Pinocchio what about his conscience? Let your conscience be your guide. I probably heard that a time or two as a child from my mom and dad. Maybe you did as well. Well, that's not terrible advice. But here's the reality. Your conscience as your guide is only as good as what grounds your conscience. Because if you use that phrase today in our world, man, the conscience of some is seared. 
conscience of others is completely wrapped up in false ideologies and false theologies and false beliefs. And so their conscience will let them go a very far away away. Is that what Paul's talking about? No, he's talking about conscience being grounded in a framework of Scripture. Jonathan Edwards, the great American theologian of a bygone day, he put it this way. He said he compared one's conscience to a sundial. Now, I realize we don't use a sundial, but you understand the concept of it. He compared it to a sundial and God's Word to the sun, where he said only the light of the sun will give the correct reading. Moonlight cannot work. Candlelight is folly. Both will mislead you. The sunlight of Scripture will always tell the truth. So what's he saying? Our conscience for deacons, for pastors, for church members. Our conscience has to be uh, lightened or, or shown upon from the pages of Scripture. You want to make sure your conscience is right, then let your conscience be undergirded by what Scripture teaches. Amen? So we're to look for deacons or those who hold a faithful theology. Let me give you another qualification for deacons. We're to look for those who already have a ministry. Look at verse 10. Let them also be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. This is one of the reasons we know this is an office. There are other reasons. In Philippians chapter uh, 1, verse 1, Paul writes to the church, and he writes to the overseers, and he writes to the deacons. You see the office here. In this text, there are deacons and there are overseers. It's an office. But in this case, what he says is let those who are serving or let those who are tested then be affirmed by the church as servants, official office servants in the life of the church. That testing can be formal. Could be formal where we give a trial period, we examine, and we do some of that in the life of our church. Or it could be an informal testing. One of the ways that that happens in our church and in other places is we look for people who are already serving. If you're already serving, then it gives a pretty good indication that you could take on the office of a servant, of a deacon. In other words, it's not about getting a seat at the table so you can make decisions. That's not true really in any case, whether it's an elder or a deacon, because that's not the primary role of either of those in, in one sense. Primary the role of either is to serve the church, whether that's through the ministry of the Word and prayer or through other practical ministries. So the person that wants the office to be sitting at the table making decisions, folks, that's not the picture, uh, the biblical picture of what a deacon should be. The biblical picture of a deacon is one who is serving the life of the church. And that could be through a Sunday school class or being an usher or singing on, uh, leading in worship or, or any number of other characteristics of serving. But those who are serving are those who could be qualified to serve in a diaconal role or a serving role, an office role in the life of the church. I, I could have done the whole sermon on this, on, on this one thing, telling you deacon stories in the life of our church. I know of deacons who nearly every week go by and visit with those on their contingency list. Those are the ones that are widows and widowers in the life of our church. We'll talk about that a little more practically and scripturally when we get to 1 Timothy chapter 5. But I, I know of deacons that take a meal to those ladies and sit down and visit with them. I know of deacons that will go visit with those ladies and some of those ladies, they don't have the, the conversations that they used to have in life before. Because they're not out in the world. They're, they're, some of them are, are truly shut in. So sometimes it takes those deacons an hour to be there and just talk. And you know what they do? 
they listen for an hour. <laughs> because they love the folks in the church. I know of deacons who every week are going to come into this room with a fogging machine and fog the room. Why? Because we care about making sure that if anyone walked in sick, that what they left behind doesn't get anybody else sick because we use this space more often. I know of deacons who spend a lot of time trying to figure out and navigate how do we best steward the finances that you give to Wilkesboro Baptist Church? And how do we make sure that we honor the Lord with what has been given and distribute what's been given in a wise way and in a godly way? And one of the reasons I think that the Wilkesboro Baptist Church has given so faithfully and so generously over the years, not just in the last couple of years, but over the years, is because there's a sense of trust in those who are managing those funds. They're not the people who, who seek after dishonest gain. They're wise stewards of what has been given. Uh, folks, I know of deacons who do all sort of other things in the life of our church. Stand out front and say hey to folks when they walk in. Pass out, uh, pass out worship guides. I, I know of deacons who hold the doors open and smile at you every time you enter the worship center and just enter the church and, and just the church building and just make you feel welcome. I know of some deacons that are not active, but they're elected deacons of the church who just recently birthed a new Sunday school class. And they renamed their class the commissioned class because our mission at Wilkesboro Baptist Church is to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus by worshiping, learning, serving, and replicating. And they embodied replicating. They had a lot of folks in their Sunday school class. And we needed another Sunday school class in their age group. So what did they do? They birthed a class out of their class, sent that class to another classroom. And what's awesome about that is the new class is almost full. Because another class gave up members, people they loved, people they enjoyed spending time with. In other words, here's what they said. It's not about what we'd like to have in our room. What we'd like to have in our room is a bigger room where all of us could gather and be here every week. And that's what we'd like to have. But it's not about what we'd like to have. It's about what the mission is. The mission is to help other people build fellowship and relationship in the life of the church. And guess what? We'll send teachers out and we'll send a class out. Why? So we can fulfill the mission. That's what deacons do. Deacons are those who put others first in the life of the church, have a ministry, and the testing aspect are those who are already doing that ministry without being affirmed as a title or an office or an elected position. We're to look for those who already have a ministry. You know what? You'll never know all the ways that deacons serve at Wilkesboro Baptist Church because the goal of a servant is not to be noticed. Hear that? I mean, I could tell you story after story after story. And some would be, I mean, I, I know it encourages when we tell stories like that. But I'm going to tell you, the deacons that, that we have here, they could care less if I ever stood up and bragged on them and said, here's what they do. Because they don't do it to be seen and noticed. They do it to serve the Lord and serve the church. Folks, that's the kind of person that should be in the office of a servant. Can I get an amen to that? We're also to look for those who are respectable in their domesticity. Ah, that's a little odd way to say that, but I was ending all the words with uh, why. And so uh, it's a form of alliteration. I don't do that all the time. It fit, and I, I stretched a little bit for that. Pastor Tad's going to laugh at me uh, with, that, with that little stretch. But basically, their home life is very similar to that of a pastor elder. They're to be the husband of one wife. They're to manage their own house well. Why? Because they're to be servants in the life of the church. You see that there in verse 
12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife. That means they're a one-woman man. They're faithful to the spouse that God gave them, managing their children and their own households well. Another knock on deacons over the years has been, don't, you know, the deacons' kids are the ones getting in trouble in the life of the church, and definitely don't let the deacons' kids play with the pastor's kids because then they'll both get in trouble. I heard all those comments over the years. That, when, when it says managing your own household well, it doesn't mean that children are to be absolutely perfect. They're not. My kids are not perfect. Kids of deacons are not perfect. We're all sinners and all in need of Jesus. The picture is that a pastor or a deacon or those that are leading in the office of the church don't put other things in front of their family. They make sure their family's a priority and they lead their homes in a way that their kids can know Jesus and follow Jesus. It's not an issue of perfection. It's an issue of regular management in the life of the church. So that we're to look for people who are respectable in their home. Now, you'll notice I skipped a verse. If you'll look back at verse 11, let's talk about what's going on there in verse 11. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Uh, that verse is an aside verse, and scholars are, have debated exactly what it is that's going on in that text. It is Paul speaking specifically to the wives of deacons, talking about this is a family-oriented ministry, meaning that their wives are to carry with them similar characteristics, or is he talking about women who might serve as deacons or deaconesses in the text? And, and scholars are divided on that. And I'm going to give you a couple of arguments both ways. I'll be honest with you, I've not settled on a place in my own life. I've wrestled with this particular text uh, on a number of occasions. But when I preach to you, I try to preach what's there and try to give you some, uh, some interpretations and assessments. Why do I do that? Because if I don't, I don't believe I'm being fair to you or to the text in front of us. So in light of the Greek language, the Greek language only has one word for wife and woman. It's gune. So in the text, that word, wives, could be translated women or wife. The context determines whether or not it's translated woman or wife. One reason it's translated wife in many translations is because the very next verse, verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife. In other words, it, it would fit in that context that, that the word is translated wife simply because it's translated wife, obviously translated wife, in verse 12. So that's an argument for Paul specifically referencing the wives of deacons. Uh, another reason for Paul specifically referencing the wife of deacons is because if you look at verse, the verse before it, verse 10, and also verse 12, he speaks specifically about deacons. So he talks about deacons, uses the term servants, diak and I, which is the, the plural of that. And then he does the same thing in verse 12. So in, in one sense, it's like, okay, he's giving an aside for the wives of deacons, which let's look at what that is for a second. They must be dignified. It's a similar expectation or the same expectation as in verse 8. Uh, and then also they're not to be slanders or gossip mongers. They're to be sober-minded and faithful. And so the characteristics overlap with the characteristics of what it would be to be a deacon. So it fits that he could be talking about deacon wives. 
Nevertheless, there are some other scholars who look at this verse of Scripture and say, hold on a second, there are some things that don't fit about it talking about deacons' wives. Maybe he's talking about a, an office of women who would serve in a diaconal type role. And some arguments for that would be that this verse, verse 11, begins with likewise. So you have likewise for elders in chapter 3, verse 1, and you have likewise for deacons in verse 8, and likewise here, and it indicates that can indicate that there is a new focus in that particular instance. Another reason that some scholars have argued that this could be a female diaconal role would be simply the fact that, um, that he doesn't address the wives of elders. Why would he address the wives of deacons? and not address the wives of elders? Wouldn't it be just as important that the wife of a pastor carry themselves this way? Absolutely, it would. Certainly, uh, I had a mentor once tell me that you need to make sure, as I was a young unmarried student seeking out uh, direction in my life and ministry and seeking a wife, he said, make sure that you are careful who you marry because your wife will either double your ministry or cut it in half. The wife of a pastor or, or a leader in the church is tremendously important. Yet Paul doesn't address the elder wives. He just addresses this particular instance of women in, in the life of the church. So what, what's going on here? I'll be honest with you. I still wrestle with it. I, I do. Uh, I, I don't know if Paul is indicating a specific office for deaconess. There is a verse of Scripture in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, where Phoebe is called a servant of the church a diakona of the church. It is the same word used in chapter 3 here for deacon and deaconess or deacon. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Let me, let me give you a pastoral kind of approach to this particular uh, passage of Scripture in this issue. I preached last week on polity in the life of the church. And there are some things that that we're going to be pursuing in terms of clear interpretation of Scripture and what we do in our polity, for me, that's where our focus is going to be. I don't know that you're going to hear me make a case for women serving as deacons or not serving as deacons over the next several months because there are other things that I think we should prioritize in terms of church structure and church polity. It doesn't mean we'd never revisit it. It just means I don't want to get lost in something that's Truly, and I don't mean this in any kind of diminished role, a secondary or, or a next step type argument. Does that make sense? If you've got questions about it, I'll talk about it with you. I'll share some resources that are, are both sides of the, the coin in the equation. We're not going to ignore it, but it's not going to be our first priority and our focus. Here's one thing I would say to all of us. The reality is whether you have men or women serving in the office of deacon, we as a church are to be servants. And if we don't have women serving in the life of the church, we don't have a healthy church. And if we don't have men serving in the life of the church, whether it's the office of deacon or not the office of deacon, we're not a healthy church. And the picture here in this text, yes, it deals with the office, but more generally it deals with the fact that you and I as followers of Jesus are to embrace and embody these characteristics because that's what God's called us to. Let me give you a last characteristic. These kinds of servants can expect to have confidence in eternity. I'll close with this. Verse 13, For those who serve well as deacons will gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means that those who serve well, that's what God looks at. 
Did you hear that? They'll find a good standing. God isn't looking for power-hungry people. God isn't looking for controllers. He's not looking for dictators. He's not looking for people who would be good to sit on a governing board. He's not looking for people who are wealthy. Wasn't in the text. He's not looking for people who are well-connected, well-networked. He's not looking for people whose primary, uh, the primary things that they would bring relate to their skills or their competencies. What's God looking for? People who serve. That's what he's looking for. And, and that is something that all of us can strive for. Why? And that's what's commended. It's commended in eternity. Let me give you this, this illustration that closes this out. One of my all-time favorite stories in the entire scripture comes out of Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7. And it relates to, to Stephen. Acts chapter 6, and we won't go into all of the details of this because I'm already past time. Y'all okay if I'm past time in just a couple of minutes? Well, you're, you're not going to say anything different. So I don't know why I asked. Let me close with this story. So the church was dealing with a tension. Some widows weren't getting cared for. And so the apostles came to the church and said, choose from among you seven, who, or choose from among you men who will take care of this ministry need. And they chose seven. And Stephen was one of those that was chosen to wait tables for widows. He was an elected deacon. It's where the deacon role begins in the pages of Scripture. He was called out to serve, and that's what he did. He waited tables. He ministered. But beyond ministering by waiting tables, do you know what Stephen started doing? He started telling people about Jesus. He started preaching. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of power and wisdom being in the Holy Spirit. He was a preacher and a teacher, and he started doing miracles and speaking in a way that, that... overwhelmed the religious leaders and he was brought to trial in Acts chapter 7. And Luke goes to great pains. I want you to get this. He goes to great pains to connect Jesus and Stephen in, in, from the, the book of Luke and also the book of Acts. See, Jesus served people. Jesus performed miracles. Jesus was tried by the Sanhedrin. Stephen served people. Stephen proclaimed the gospel. Stephen was tried by the Sanhedrin. Jesus died on the cross to be our Savior and our Lord and our Redeemer and offer us a way to forgiveness. Stephen was the first martyr of the church. Jesus died for the church. Stephen died as a representative of the church. Luke goes to great pains to draw links between Jesus and Stephen. Okay? Here's why that's important. Because Stephen was not an overseer. Stephen was not an elder. Stephen wasn't a pastor. Stephen wasn't even an apostle. Stephen wasn't what we might consider as this premier example of what the church should be in a leadership role. Stephen was a deacon. The first martyr of the church was not John, he would be martyred later. Not James, or James rather, would be martyred later. It was a deacon who put the church first. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.